He writes, so then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the beginning of our scripture lesson this morning reads a little like something, an article maybe, that could be titled, Paul's Words of Wisdom, the Do's and Don'ts of Life in the Body. One, be truthful with your neighbor. Two, you can be angry, but don't sin. Three, don't let the sun go down on your anger, which gives the devil an opportunity to slide in. If you're a thief, stop stealing, and you should work to earn money so that you'll have something to use to help others. Don't say unwholesome things, or just like your mama taught you, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't be bitter, wrathful. Angry, slanderous, conniving, or malicious. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. Be forgiving to one another as God forgave you in Christ. In summary, imitate God. Hmm. I don't know about you, but that's a tough list on a good day for me. And on a bad day, well, it's pretty rough. Now, this list is something that I've been chewing on kind of all week long. And in my chewing, I, I read. And so I was reading, and I came across an article, and it, it was this true story that happened back in January of this year, and uh, I thought it was really interesting. There was this woman um, who loved Starbucks, 
Anyone? Yeah? Okay. So you know what it's like at like 5 p.m. to drive up to the Starbucks drive-thru that's wrapped around the building and the parking lot and everybody's going slow, right? Anyway, so she drives up to this Starbucks drive-thru and she gives them her order. And as the barista hands her order out the door to her, um, he says, I'm sorry, but we don't have any carriers. And she looks around her car, and she's like, well, okay. And she grabs um, a cup that is her trash, and she hands it to him, and she says, "Um, okay, but can you take this for me? And he politely says, no, I'm unable to do that. Now, how many of you are like, (laughs) well, the article didn't mention exactly how the woman responded to the barista, but the article did say that she went home angry. Rightly so, don't you think? Now, here's what happened. The next day, the woman went back to Starbucks. Are you worried yet? She went back to Starbucks and goes up to the same bar. This time she parks her car, she goes inside, and she finds the same barista. And she walks up to him, and she hands him an envelope. Do you want to know what was inside? I hope so, because I'm going to tell you. Here's what was inside. There was a card, and in the card it said... Greetings, Starbucks barista. Yesterday at your drive-thru, we had a less than cheerful encounter. So far, so good. At no fault of yours, you were out of carriers and said you could not take my empty cup, which was trash. And I was less than understanding with you, and my manner was curt. I need to apologize. The thought of leaving a trail of unkindness like that is not the path I want to reflect. Not for you and not for me. You are a young man clearly working hard to build a fortune and you should be commended. Keep your attitude of cheer and hope. Stay hopeful no matter what kind of people cross your path or your drive through. Surely God has good blessing in store. You taught this old lady something yesterday about kindness, compassion, and staying humble. And I thank you. God bless you today and all your days. Debbie. But that's not all, because also inside the card was a $50 bill. The barista posted a picture of it on Reddit where it went viral. Now, this is courageous kindness, what to us seems like on very small scale. 
But I want you to think about when the barista posted the picture of the card, how many people saw it, and how many people just here today are hearing about it. It's a courageous kindness that has gone viral. I once heard someone say that fighting for something or about something is anchored in fear, but promoting peace is anchored in hope. Debbie chose to be kind over being right. Debbie was anchored in hope. Her choice to return to Starbucks and to apologize for her curtness was a memorable and courageous act of kindness. It was memorable because it is absolutely almost unheard of for someone to apologize for their unkind behavior when they are angered over something they may have been justified in being angered over. It was a courageous act because Debbie chose to be vulnerable and admit that in her anger, she had sinned. She had wronged the young man by speaking to him unkindly. And not only that, she had accepted the responsibility. She was accountable for her own choice and her own actions. She apologized for acting contrary to the way that Christ modeled for us. She acknowledged that she didn't want to leave a trail of unkindness behind her, and she publicly repented of her action. She publicly went in there and apologized to this young man. That's pretty different from what we expect in our homes, our schools, our businesses, the world. So last week, I walked right up to the line and put my toes on politics in the pulpit. And I, and I made you a little nervous. And so I walked into the office on Monday after speaking about unity in the body. And when I came through the door, the first thing that you see when you walk in, well, for me, the first thing that I see when I walk into my office is the mailboxes. That's where my eyes go first. And so I look at my mailbox, and sticking out is a newspaper. And I'm like, oh, no. I did it. Because, Pastor Bob, we never know. We never know what might be in there. So I grabbed the newspaper out of my mailbox, and I unlocked my office door, and instead of propping it open, I let it quietly close behind me just in case. And I sat down at my desk, and I dropped my keys, and I opened, unfolded the paper, and there was an inked-in star next to one of the headlines. And it read, this is from the Columbus Dispatch Metro and State section of last Sunday's paper, if you want to catch it later. The title that had a star by it was 
erasing hate. And I was like, okay, this could be good. Could not be good. We're going to see. And so I kept reading. And as I read on, the next bolded line was, Tattoo artist gives clients a second chance by inking over offensive symbols. Wow. Tattoo artist Billy White of the Red Rose Tattoo Parlor in Zanesville, Ohio, has a mission at his tattoo parlor. His mission is to move people past hate by offering to cover up tattoos that they have had on their bodies that are symbols of hate. And the article has pictures of some of the work that he's done. So far, he's covered 20 to 30 tattoos. He's featured in a documentary called Beneath the Ink. The force that drives his cause is his desire to make the world a better place for his kids. He desires to use his tool to make a positive impact on the world. Now, I've never looked at tattoos or a tattoo artist as having a mission to erase hate. I just had never really thought of it before. But it's very interesting because Billy White's mission has caught on. There are other tattoo artists and tattoo parlors who are doing the same thing, erasing hate tattoos free of charge. Instead of judging the people that walk in with what's already on their bodies, they lovingly change the images of hate into something new. Now, I did not always grow up in the church, and so my sinful past is it's obvious to me. Like, I was a teenager with no church community to love me in. When we were yet sinners, God loved us. And he so loved us that he gave his only son for us. And he did that not so that the world could be judged or condemned, but so that all might be saved and have eternal life through Christ Jesus. In the action of giving his son, he forgave us. And in that forgiveness, God erases our sin completely. And in Christ, we are made new. The sin that had been tattooed on our hearts before is now erased through Jesus Christ. Where there was once condemnation, now there is life. Where there was once hate, now there is love. When someone asks me what makes Christians different from anyone else, my answer is living love. Because I believe that the kind of love that Jesus offers us is a love that erases hate. The tattoo on my heart is a tattoo of love. Now I'm going to be honest, God's still inking it. And there are days 
when I'm a hot mess. So it's not completely finished. But you know what? I anchor myself in hope knowing that one day it's going to be beautiful. So Sandy Jones, where are you? Thanks for the article. Sandy always puts cool, fun stuff in our boxes. I didn't know it was from Sandy straight up. See, I told you you'd be in my sermon today. But I want to leave you with something to remember today. Um, Pastor Bob preached a few months ago, and uh, he preached and used a story from a book. Gary Weaver gifted us this really cool book. It's out there. You can have it, too. It's called The Book of Mysteries by Jonathan Kahn. And so I want to share a story with you. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, though. In the book, there's this, it starts out with a premise. There is a, a man, and he is on a journey in the wilderness, in the desert. And as he is on the journey in the desert, he comes across another man who approaches him, and he is a wise man. And before you know it, the man who was on the journey has been invited to come under the teaching of the wise man. So let's begin. The teacher took me into the chamber of books to a wooden table. And on that table was something that I would describe as a tablet. It was a very shallow wooden box filled with soft wax. And the teacher had in his hand a small pointed rod, like like a stylus of sorts. And he put the stylus to the waxy tablet and he began to write. And I could not read the letters. It's ancient Greek, he said. The word is hupogrammas. What does that mean? I asked. Grammas means writing. And hupo means under, underwriting. Huh. So you're an underwriter, I said. <sighs> he said, in ancient times, the hupogrammas was used to teach students how to write. It was the model or the master writing. It would be a word or maybe a collection of words that were to be copied by the student. The teacher would write the hupogrammas on the wax tablet, and the student would place his stylus in the grooves of the letters and trace out the word for himself. In his first letter, Peter writes, The Messiah suffered for us, leaving us an example that you might walk in his steps. So, I asked, Messiah left us a hupogrammas, an underwriting? <laughs> the teacher laughed. Messiah is the hupogrammas. Jesus is the underwriting. His life is the life by which we are to trace our own. His thoughts are the thoughts 
by which we are to trace our thoughts. His manner is the manner by which we are to trace our manner. His love is the love by which we are to trace our love. His heart is the hupogramas heart. And by his heart, we are to trace our thoughts, our manner, our heart, our everything from the grooves of his life and the imprint of his footsteps. For every moment of our lives, we have a guide and an underwriting. Jesus Christ is the hupogramas of human life. Hmm. So I want us to take a minute and I want us to think about the underwriting of our lives. If we were to look in that shallow box of soft wax, what do we see? When we get up in the morning and we pounce quickly into our day, at work, at school, at home, with family, neighbors, co-workers. Who is underwriting our day? What is on your tablet? This week, I want to challenge you first. I'm going to update my challenge from last week. Continue to pray for those who are headed to General Conference in February. Continue to do that until February. But also I want to challenge you to first seek the hupogramas, the underwriter of your day. Open our eyes and hearts to trace the grooves Jesus Christ has made for us to follow. Those grooves are grooves of courageous kindness. They're grooves of humility and grace. They're grooves of an unconditional love that is rooted in forgiveness and anchored in hope. Let's pray. Jesus, you have underwritten every moment of our lives. Thought, word, Indeed, our part is to trace over the guide you have given us. Gracious God, help us to live our lives in such a way that we are not leaving trails of unkindness behind us, but instead are leaving arrows that are pointing directly to you, lives of joy and peace, forgiveness, and hope. God, be with us in every moment of our day, in every interaction. Let us be kind. Let us be truthful. And let us imitate the way that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd invite you to stand and sing together.